0: All right, let's open our Bibles. Welcome again if you've joined us since the announcements uh, online. Acts chapter 22 is where we're at, picking up in verse 22. We'll go through chapter 23, the 10th verse here this morning. So, Acts chapter 22, verse 22. So, last time we saw how uh, things began to escalate with Paul's arrival in Jerusalem and in the temple. Paul gave his defense and we're about to get to the reaction to that. And as we follow the events that, that unfold next, we can't help but notice the, the inspired tactics that Paul employs. It's important that we remain faithful to the Lord uh, and respectful to others but also that we handle difficult encounters with the utmost uh, wisdom. So we'll see uh, how to do that here as first we look at how Paul reveals his citizenship then uh, to the Romans and then his Pharisee roots to the Sanhedrin. So let's, let's get into it. Acts chapter 22 once again. Verse 22 says, And they listened to him... So he had been giving his defense, and they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. So as Paul spoke to the Jews in the temple, and he came to his calling uh, in Christ, from Christ to the Gentiles. And the mere mention of Gentiles caused these people to lose it. And uh, so you look at that and you might be thinking, well, why such a strong reaction to one word? It says that at this uh, word, they completely uh, reverted back to their mob mentality at one word, that mere mention of the Gentiles. Now, Jews didn't necessarily mind Gentiles becoming Jews. Um, Generally speaking, they did not and do not, uh, especially today, uh, go through much effort to see that anyone um, becomes a Jew. The mentality within Judaism is, I'm good, and if you're not, that's your problem and even some to the extent that you know those people are created as kindling the gentiles specifically this was the view that they were created as kindling for the fire of hell that's why they exist and so you know i'm not really concerned about you but there were some you know who who actually were trying to convert gentiles anyway at the time of christ to their jewish traditions as they had evolved. In Matthew chapter 23, in verse 15, Jesus, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, says this Matthew chapter 23, 15th verse, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So a lot of people didn't care at all. If they did care, they, they didn't. It wasn't so much, I want these people to be saved, like you probably are thinking when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. It was, how can I get somebody to keep the traditions that I keep? to be within the religion and the boundaries and the construct that I'm in, uh, in, in, in what they thought was true Ju- Judaism but was an aberration. So when Paul mentions the Gentiles, what, what upset them was not the implication you know, uh, of Gentiles being converted so much. They would have been fine if Paul was out there trying to convert Gentiles to their aberrant brand of Judaism, what upset them was the implication that Gentiles didn't need to convert uh, to Judaism, uh, but that they needed to convert. They needed, in other words, to receive Christ as their Savior, and if they did, then so did the Jews, and the Jews and Gentiles then are on equal footing, and they didn't like that. Because they had a, a superiority complex to everybody else in the world because of their religion. It was it was all manufactured in their mind. It wasn't real, but that's how they saw it. There's us and then there's everybody else way down here. And now the gospel said, no, everybody, including you religious people who thought you were saved but were not, You all are lost. You all need Jesus Christ. You're all equally saved in Christ. You're all equally lost without Jesus Christ. And that was the whole problem that they had with the gospel, that they had with the gospel particularly, why they got mad, particularly when the gospel was being preached to Gentiles. Because you see, religious and moral people don't like to be lumped with the riffraff. You know what I'm saying? Don't, in, don't lump me with those people over there. I'm up here. You don't understand. The, you don't understand what I know. You don't understand what I do and how religious I am. I'm not like those people. It's kind of like the Pharisee in the temple, right? God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. I fast and, you know, I do all of these things. I don't lump me with them, but Paul, through the truth of the gospel, was really lumping us all together. There's no difference between any of us. We're all lost without Christ, and we're saved only through Jesus Christ. We are all the same, and in their religion, they had a different idea. It made them very angry. And the truth is that they were no better than the Gentiles without Jesus Christ. Verse 23, as they cried out and they tore their clothes and threw dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Paul was, uh, as we looked at last time, Paul's language skills opened a lot of doors for him. Paul uh, spoke Greek, uh, spoke and wrote Greek, obviously uh, Hebrew, perhaps Aramaic. A lot of people think that when Paul preached here uh, on the steps of the Antonia Fortress to the Jews in the temple that he spoke Aramaic, um, and back in chapter, uh, or verse 2 of chapter 22 here, it says that he spoke in the Hebrew language. So, the question is, what was the Hebrew language at that time? We talked about it. A lot of scholars believe that it was Aramaic, which is uh, a very similar uh, dialect of the Semitic languages um, and it 's possible that they spoke Aramaic. The argument is is that Aramaic was spoken by the common people, and that Hebrew was spoken by the priests uh, and but uh, I will just share with you this as i 've gone in search of the origins and the validity of that argument, um, that it seems like it's one of those things that someone smart somewhere started saying and everybody started repeating it. There just isn't, there's, you know, it's quite possible that actually they just spoke Hebrew, that everybody spoke Hebrew, but that they probably also understood Aramaic. So, it's difficult to say what the Hebrew language is, but for sure Paul wasn't speaking Greek here the, the, or, or even Latin. Paul probably spoke Greek, Latin, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, um, you know, lots of languages. Like most people in the world today, uh, what do you call someone who only speaks one language? An American. Uh, everybody else in the world speaks lots of languages. Right, And so Paul and and people in this part of the world, particularly if they were doing business, um, spiritual business in this case, uh, they had to be skilled. And so Paul was speaking in a language, the language of the people, but the tribune, the Roman tribune, didn't understand what he was saying. And so he knew that the people were upset, but he didn't exactly know why they were upset. And so he needs to find out. And so uh, they bind Paul, verse twenty-five, and uh, they bound him with thongs. And Paul said to the centurion who stood by, "So they they bound him, and they're they're getting ready to scourge him." And Paul, at that time, plays this card. He says. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Paul was a smart man. You know? He didn't play this card yet. He had already had conversations with the, with, with the tribune. And, and, and so he, uh, he didn't reveal that because he realized, okay, there's a, he, it's not like he didn't know. It was a decision that he made when he decided to, to share that information. Paul was a, a, a smart individual and uh, he knew when to say certain things and when not to say certain things. And that's kind of one of the, the things that we learn in life is, is that you know, we don't have to share everything that we know uh, right when we know it right, and and uh, as it becomes available, because there are times and places, um, particularly when you're dealing with difficult and tense situations, there are times and places to share certain things, and so Paul, at this moment, exactly this moment, decides that it's time to reveal his citizenship, and that's because under Roman law, it was a very serious offense to scourge uh, or to even bind a citizen whose guilt had not been established through a trial. And so the, the uh, commander, the, the tribune, and the centurion that we saw previously uh, could both lose not only their uh, rank, their jobs, but even their lives if they did so. And so when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So as he's having this conversation, they didn't you know, uh, other than other uh, Romans, um, and even a lot of them weren't citizens, even the soldiers under their care, not all of them had, in fact, most of them were not citizens. So even amongst the Romans, citizenship was unique, and yet amongst a bunch of Jews, it was almost unheard of. And yet here is this guy that, you know, pulls out his passport, you know, uh, stamped, you know, Rome. He, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. Now, there were a few different ways that you could become a citizen. If you served in the military for 25 years upon retirement, you could become a citizen. If you spent a lot of money, as as the tribune mentions that he did here you could become a citizen or you could become a citizen by birth and in terms of status the the highest level of of citizenship was Paul's he was born a citizen he was a citizen through and through he was a citizen uh his entire life and so verse 29 it says that then immediately those who were about to examine him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman uh, and because he had bound him. So they had had already gone too far. So the next day, verse 30, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So, The commander now had uh, a a dilemma. Here he has uh, obviously a very important Roman, uh, a citizen, but if he released, just let Paul go, they'd probably kill him. If he let Paul go, the Jews would probably assassinate him. So, but if he was going to hold him, he needed to have a good reason to hold him. So he can't figure out anything. He doesn't even know the full extent of the conversation that he had with the people on the steps there. So he takes Paul under guard. Down he has the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high religious court, the supreme court. He has them convened. They would have convened in the hall of hewn stone there uh, in the temple, uh, all 70 of them and the high priest. And he takes him down under guard to the Sanhedrin so that they can question him, so that Paul can give a defense before them, so that he can understand and possibly have a reason to keep Paul uh, for his own safety. And so Paul is set before the council, chapter 23, verse 1, and looking earnestly at the council, he said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So Paul opens his defense before the council. He's not saying, by the way, that he was sinless, just that his conscience was clean before God, both as a Jew before and now as a Christian, he had never violated his conscience before God. Again, doesn't mean that he never sinned, but that he always walked in faithfulness as a matter of course, faithfulness to God Uh, in terms of his conscience and what he believed God was calling him to do. Now, he was obviously very misguided until he met Jesus on the road there uh, to Damascus until he was saved and he encountered the resurrected Lord. He was blinded and then given his sight, both physically and spiritually. And so Paul opens up with this simple statement and the high priest, verse 2, Annas commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So Paul exposes their hypocrisy. They couldn't help themselves. The same thing happened with Jesus, remember? Jesus says, for what good deed do you strike me? And, and if not for a good deed, bear witness of what I've done. So it's interesting that this just was their, uh, these people were so evil, uh, this was the way that they dealt with those that they disagreed with, with violence and dishonesty, and, and that's how they begin with Paul. They were judging him under the law while violating the law. And that's what, what Paul points out back in Leviticus in chapter 19, there uh, in verse 15, it's a couple times in that chapter actually, that, um, that this statement appears, Leviticus 19:15, "You shall do no injustice in judgment." Stop and think about that. If we are really doing justice uh, or really rendering a proper judgment, there can't also be injustice in the process. And what we discover is, is that through all of their proceedings virtually that we see in the scripture, they were filled with injustice. Injustice toward Christ, injustice toward the followers and the servants of Christ, Striking them, murdering them—in the case of uh, Stephen, uh, beating the disciples, as we've seen earlier in the Book of Acts. This is just the—the the, this was just kind of the way that they—they they did it. And Ananias, though high priest, was a fraud. On the outside, he looked good. On the outside, he was able to look religious but he was a whitewashed wall. As Jesus said, he was a whitewashed tomb. Outside looked great. Inside was full of dead men's bones. What a a picture that is. We should carry that picture with us always to be sure to avoid it. Not to look good on the outside. You know, people to think that that they're uh religious or but really inside there's all kinds of you know, garbage and so forth. Kinda like a house, you know, you go by it and the outside the yard looks good, grass is green and everything, but inside it's like a bad episode of hoarders buried alive. You know, garbage and junk everywhere and a lot of people that's exactly who they are spiritually speaking they have a bible you know people may know that they're they claim to be christians and you know they may even have a you know some kind of sticker on their car that's you know indicating such or uh at least some sort of values or whatever they're trying to give this impression they they come to church you know and 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 maybe they volunteer and they teach uh for a while and then you know the lord blows the lid off and and you see what's really in the pot and, and, and you see what 's there, and it 's not particularly pleasant and and you realize they 've been playing you and and they 've been playing themselves a lot of times, not just deceiving everybody around them, but a lot of times deceiving themselves. I think that that's probably one of the greatest deceptions of hypocrisy and and you know, Phariseeism and these other types of things is the self deception. After a while, they even start to think they're pretty good. And that was the high priest. He, he was a fraud. Paul says, You're a whitewashed wall. Religion might provide a position, religion might even give you a certain perception amongst people, but religion itself cannot change your heart or save you and true salvation doesn't work from the outside in but from the inside out it starts here and it spreads to everything that you are it transforms everything you, that you are in fact when it's true the opposite is actually what i've noticed i've noticed a lot of people that they're kind of rough on the outside It's anything but whitewashed. But their heart is right. Especially if they're newer believers. You know, they haven't been a believer too long. Their heart is right. The Lord's still working on the outside. He's still bringing it up to code. Spiritually. He's fixing everything that we broke. That we ruined. He's causing the outside to match the inside. But it starts from the inside. And true transformation starts from the inside and it works its way out and if you start on the outside and try to work your way in you'll never get there and after a while you'll just say it's just easier to keep the outside looking clean who cares what the inside looks like all that really makes a difference when it comes to dealing with other people is what's on the outside so i'll stop there because that's easy the hard work is really the work of the heart and God has to be that doing that work and we have to yield to it and some people never get to that. Some people never start with that. And the religious leaders didn't and, and Paul clearly just points it out. Hey, you're at the top but really you're at the bottom. You may be at the top of the social spiritual food chain but you're at the bottom spiritually speaking in reality because your heart is wicked. Verse 4 Those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul, he didn't realize he was the high priest. He said, I I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. Can you blame me? He doesn't really act like it. Uh, For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. It would seem that he wasn't wearing his garments. The garments would have given him away. You know, and... uh, so the meeting was probably called in haste he's probably not wearing the high priestly garments Paul though he had been fully connected with this community had been away for a long time 15 years alone just on his missionary journeys after being saved so so Paul's been away for more than 15 years at least out of the loop so he didn't recognize the high priest he didn't know that was the the high priest and 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 so uh, he apologizes. He admits his mistake and he apologizes and he recognizes that, that while Ananias uh, was not worthy of respect, his office was. And so uh, he quotes there actually, uh, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He's quoting from actually the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 28. You know, uh, it takes a special person um, to admit uh, their mistakes in the face of greater wrongdoing because as you look at what's going on here the least uh, of the offenses was Paul's um, speech to the high priest and toward the high priest and actually that guy it was true he was a whitewashed wall But Paul apologizes anyway because he doesn't want to be disrespectful in any way. He doesn't want to do the wrong thing just because they're doing the wrong thing. And that takes a very special person. And and that's also one of the ways you know that God has done a work in in, in someone's heart. Is, Is that no matter what is going on around them, no matter how badly they're being treated, no matter how unfairly they're being treated, no matter how ungodly it is, they still behave in a godly way. They are still consistently living according to their faith. Don't fall for the trap that if others are behaving in an ungodly way toward you, that it is okay for you to lower your standards, biblically speaking, as to how you relate to other people, as to how you interact with other people. And in this case, the rulers of their people, because of their position, were worthy of respect, not because of who they were, but because of their office. A lot of people don't realize that, that the office is the beneficiary of the authority of God, that that office, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, there is no authority except from God. That all authority is from God. Good and bad. The ones we agree with and the ones we disagree with. The ones we vote for and the ones we don't vote for. They all, whether they realize it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, they all in that office carry a measure of God's authority. So Paul realized that. This man is not worthy of authority, but his office holds a certain amount of the authority of God. As Christians, you should endeavor, yes, to speak the truth, yes, to stand up for righteousness, yes, you, by all means, you should vote, and you should exercise your right as a Christian in this country especially, because God has given you those rights. He's allowed you to live into a a certain place, and he expects you to use your freedom and your rights in a godly way. And so we should be in prayer, involved in in things political because lives are on the line. People's lives are on the line. Whether it's the lives of unborn children, whether it's the lives of immigrants who are uh, deciding foolishly to come to this country thinking that there's something great waiting for them when in reality for most of them there will not be and we are mistreating them right now by creating this illusion that that's there and allowing them to just make these treks and these journeys, we have a responsibility to say that is wrong. That is the mistreatment of people and families. And we should vote accordingly. We should pray and we should vote accordingly. People who, I don't care what party, whoever they are, If they are going to sanction the murder of unborn children, that is evil. That is perhaps the highest level of evil, and we have a moral obligation and a responsibility to say so and to exercise our vote accordingly. But we do not have the right to disrespect the office of those uh, held by people that we disagree with who are even evil and morally bankrupt. Because the office they hold is delegated authority from God. And we need to understand that in wisdom. Paul understood that in wisdom. And so what do you do? How do you live your life? Well, the way that I live my life is I say that's wrong. I say I'm not voting for that. Person. I pray for their salvation, but I also pray for godly leaders to be elected or for them to get saved in office and to have a change of heart. However the, the Lord wants to do it, I, I pray. And you can talk to others and you can be involved. You may run for office yourself. I hope that some of you would and do. Because I believe that Christians are called to hold public office and to serve. But I will not disrespect the office. It's easy to do. You see something funny, you know? It's easy to just hit forward, send it on to your friend. Someone says something funny, and you know, I get it. Believe it or not, I have a sense of humor too. <laughs> I get it, and I try not to lie. I get it. I don't wanna I don't want to fall into that. Or you're just so irritated. That's probably it. It's not even funny. You see it and you're just so fed up. I get it. I understand. I see it too. You you, you see that and it's just so wicked and evil and it's so much more than we could have ever imagined. It's probably going to be so much more in the future than we could ever imagine. And so the temptation is going to be even greater. Don't lower your standards. Don't lower God's standards. Still show respect and exercise wisdom. Honor God and fight that fight. That's what Paul does. He's such a good example uh, of this. And so he's there and he's before them, verse 6. And when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, the other part Pharisees. So this body was a divided body. Part of them were of the sect of the Pharisees, the other were Sadducees, the high priest, the priesthood in general, that whole gang, they were Sadducees. The the rest of them, the scribes and a lot of the teachers and the rabbis, they were Pharisees. They were the, Pharisees were the conservatives in their way. The Sadducees were the liberals. And so it was a, divided body and he cried out in the council men and brethren i am a pharisee the son of a pharisee concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead i am being judged so paul is sitting here and he's looking at this whole thing going on and he says you know what justice is not going to be served in this court so he makes a practical and tactical decision in order to end the proceedings and Move on. He knew it's always been this way. Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees, the conservatives, they believed in resurrection. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in the spiritual realm. Everything needed to be dotted and crossed and and meticulously, you know, they had greatly warped the word of God but meticulous to their warped version of the word of God. And the Sadducees were the opposite, the aristocracy. Interestingly, the Sadducees, so they controlled the priest of the temple, did not believe in the afterlife, did not believe in a spiritual realm or angels or anything like that or even a spiritual component to man. Um, You know, they didn't believe in the resurrection, as you would imagine, based on all those other beliefs. So they were basically like a lot of Jewish people today. In fact, today you have the modern descendants of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You have the Orthodox, you know, you you all know the Orthodox. There's a great video online, I encourage you to go check it out. It's just Google, you see, what could you Google? You could Google Orthodox New York City Marathon, okay? There's a great video of the Orthodox guys, 50,000 people running the New York City Marathon. They decide they're going to cross the course, and they're in their black hats and their jackets, and they're doing this across the street in Brooklyn, you know? It's a fantastic YouTube video. You won't watch it once. You'll watch it like 20 times. It's fantastic. Just Google it, but... They do that today here and in Brooklyn and, and in Jerusalem. And they're, they're the modern descendants of the Pharisees. They've got their phylacteries. If you fly to Israel, the sun's coming up, they're on the plane. Uh, they've got their phylactery, you know, on their head, and you know, they're praying, they're doing their thing. They're the modern Pharisees. But then they're a minority. Most Jews are kind of nothing. And they don't believe. They think when you die, you die. That's, you know, most liberal modern Jews. When you die, you die. You, nothing happens. You're just dead, like a lot of people. And they don't believe in any spiritual realm. And, and so they're like the modern descendants of, of, of the Sadducees. So Paul plays the Pharisee card, the resurrection card. And and he proclaims that, that he's a Pharisee and that he is being judged for his belief in the resurrection and that was true uh, with the added reality of Christ as the Messiah leading the way, the firstborn from the dead. And that's the last thing he needed to say. I'm a Pharisee resurrection. Boom! <laughs> you know we don't have any problem. This guy, what's wrong with this guy? You know what do you mean? What's wrong with this? And they start. So then they start. Start fighting. These people were too easy. (laughs) Verse 7. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And so, verse 9, there arose a loud outcry and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him to the barracks. So, once again, Paul has to be rescued, and the tribune had to be wondering how. One little guy could frequently get himself into so much trouble. You might be wondering that as you read the book of Acts. How could one guy get into so much trouble? The gospel. The gospel. When you look at what Paul did, he wasn't out getting into trouble because of his own agenda, he had no agenda. He was out preaching the gospel. And a lot of people, praise the Lord, ate it up. Ah, just receive Christ and the gospel and the spirit and all things God. And a lot of people did not. And those who did not became particularly obstinate and violent uh, toward the apostle Paul And you know what? It got him into a lot of trouble. And you know what? As you serve the Lord, I know a lot of you have already experienced this. You're going to get into a lot of trouble. It's okay. It's okay. You're in good company. Many others have gotten into a lot more trouble before you. A lot of better people have gotten into a lot more trouble than I have. I take comfort in that, you know? This is just the way that it goes. Accept trouble now. Make peace with trouble now and preach the gospel. Whatever it may bring, whatever reality that may be, and go into all the world and preach the gospel as Jesus Christ commanded. Be faithful. Fight the good fight as I shared with you before and accept the trouble for the sake of the gospel and righteousness. Paul did. You know, it's funny I used to have a, a, a there's a friend of mine and he would say, you know, how, how could how could you just, you know, somebody get into so much trouble and 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 everything and, and things would go really bad and whatever and he would just say, you'll have that. You know, that's a good attitude. As I go out and preach the gospel, as you go out and preach the gospel, you'll have that. It's going to it's going to there's going to be times if you're really preaching the gospel and I believe that many of you are and many of you will where you'll have that. Just make peace with it now. Do what God has called you to do. He'll take care of you. You know in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 Jesus told the disciples he said that they were being sent out into a hostile world. You should know that you live in a hostile world. Don't, don't I it's kind of hard most of the time, I think, to forget that, but perhaps occasionally we do. But Jesus told them that they were going out into a hostile world and they needed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And that's what our approach needs to be. Don't go out in that hostile world without the wisdom of Christ. But don't go out also into that hostile world and match its hostility. Don't go match it blow for blow. Be harmless as doves, and Paul is a perfect example of that here. You're going to face tough situations as a believer. But the Holy Spirit can equip can equip you to handle them with respect and with wisdom And He can help you navigate these situations and not stall there, but continue to move forward and accomplish all that He desires for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word here this morning. And Lord, we, in this world, we desperately need to know what what are our tactics to be How do I approach these situations? Lord, let us have wisdom. Your word says, if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of you and you will give to all liberally without reproach. Lord, give us wisdom. But also, Lord, make us harmless as doves. Keep us constantly moving forward with the gospel despite these challenges around us. Pour into us your love. Pour into us your spirit. Pour into us your joy and your peace, Lord. So we're praying here this morning. If you've come here this morning, all these things we've been talking about are essentially the product of faith in Christ and the result of a life dedicated to Christ and to serving him. But if you've come in here this morning and you haven't taken that first step in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you need to start there. And you need to start there today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And if you've come in here this morning and God has been working in your heart in this place. Hopefully he's been confirming to you that first of all, like the rest of us, you're a sinner. That you were born in sin. And that there's nothing you can do personally on your own about your sin. But that God did everything for you. That he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, to bear your sins, to bleed for your sins, to purge you of your unrighteousness and to reconcile you to God. You can't do it without him. He is the only way. And if you come here this morning and, and you haven't taken a step, the step, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to. It is the most important step you can take in life. Everything else is important, yes, but flows out of that. And if you want to know that you'll spend an eternity with God in heaven, in eternity, and not apart from God paying for your own sins in hell, you need to surrender your life to Christ. And I'd like to do that with you this morning. I'd like to pray with you this morning and lead you in a prayer. And I'd like you to know that if you do, If you surrender your life to him, he'll receive you. He'll hear you. If you'd like to join me this morning, I just invite you right now, wherever you're sitting, you can raise your hand and we're going to pray together as we close. But if you haven't, please take this opportunity. Please don't be afraid to take this opportunity. You should be afraid not to. But you slip up your hand this morning, we'll pray together. love you we thank you thank you for your church thank you for your people thank you for so many who love you who praise you who worship you may they be strengthened may they be encouraged may they go out refreshed and equipped empowered by your spirit to fulfill all your will and it's in jesus name that we pray amen